Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is Dr. Julie Paleman Tynan, the Dorothy A. O'Brien Professor of Human Ecology at UW-Madison. Today, we will talk about resilience in children and families, its importance and impacts in our society, economy, and culture. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Julie. Thanks for having me, Heather. For sure. You know, let's get started by hearing a bit about your background and more about the work that you do. Great. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist who focuses on children and families and also, as you mentioned, a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And it's my 23rd year, so (laughs) I've been here quite a long time. And I do study and do interventions with and teach about young children and families, especially focusing on resilience in the context of risk. And some of that does have to do with economic well-being of the family. And so I think it's a really relevant topic for your show. Thank you. I agree. Yeah, so I can tell you a little bit more about what I do. So I focus on young kids who experience different risk factors, that is, that kids who are born prematurely, kids who are raised by their grandparents, kids whose parents are incarcerated, kids who experience poverty. And then I don't just look at what isn't going well, I also look at what is going well. And so that is called resilience. It means positive adaptation in the face of significant adversity. It's different than coping with common day-to-day stressors because it really is meaning that children need to cope with something bigger than common day-to-day stressors. And as you've probably read about and perhaps even experienced for yourself, uh, the pandemic that we've been experiencing is a significant risk or adversity. And so we'll get into that in a little bit. But I just wanted to mention that, you know, right now, children all around the world are experiencing that. Mm -hmm. And so it is something to kind of keep in mind. And um, one of the things that scholars are starting to look at so other things that I've done in my career, I've, I've designed and tested interventions for young children and their families. Some of them are to help young children learn how to regulate their emotions and their behavior. Uh, some of times it's working with parents. Um, for example, I, I worked on one uh, meditation evaluation with the Center for Healthy Minds, and we found that it decreased not only parents' levels of clinical stress, but also children's physiological stress. 
Um, I've also worked with a number of different groups, for example, the National Group Zero to Three and uh, the well-known Sesame Street. I served as an advisor to them for a number of years, and we worked on an initiative that was especially for children whose parents were incarcerated, but they also have a wealth of um, initiatives for children in all sorts of different circumstances, including kids experiencing the pandemic, but also kids who experience homelessness, natural disasters, autism. And then they have, interesting enough, they also have a unit uh, for teaching children about money and the value of uh, saving and spending money. So thought that might interest you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know, those like that topic about the financial acumen and financial understanding, it's, it's really never too early to start teaching that. I'm sure similar to how you feel about teaching about resilience and strategies about it. Exactly. So I'm happy to talk with you about different aspects of my work. Uh, One of the things I had mentioned is that I have focused for a long time on children who experience poverty. And that is includes like when they're living in a family that experiences material hardship. Um, Sometimes there's food insecurity. uh, There's other issues as well. But on the flip side, I I also look at kids who are whose families are doing just fine economically, but they experience other risk factors like trauma or separation from their parents, other kinds of things. And those things can compound over time. And as I mentioned, right now, we're just seeing that coping with um, pandemic life is a significant challenge for so many families that that can interact with things like economic well-being in a really interesting way. I can see that, too. You know, mental health is so key to the success of our of our lives, our families, our businesses, our culture and it's really been a challenge in this last year to see so many people struggle in so many different ways. Thank you for the work that you do to bring more attention to this, especially in the eyes of children. Well, you're welcome. I think uh, oftentimes very young children can't really advocate or speak up for themselves. So other people need to call attention to it. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes I hear, maybe even I, I feel this way that, you know, kids are so moldable and adaptable and that when something changes for them, they, they adapt. We hear about that, right? They're, they'll, they'll, they'll adapt. They're doing, they're doing fine in the pandemic. It sounds like maybe that's, maybe not the, the mindset that, that should really apply to everybody. Correct. Uh, there are many kids who are doing fine. They have the supports that they need. And even though their families might be a bit stressed because they're not in their usual routines. They're, the kids might not be in school or their regular child care, um, but the families are able to support them. Other children are way more stressed. For example, they um, might have been getting their meals at school. And if they're not going to school, they may be experiencing more hunger. Um, there are kids who maybe are getting a wealth of stimulation like reading in the home or like talking about current events other kinds of things, whereas other kids might be spending more time alone or online and not really getting the kind of stimulation that they might need. So it actually varies a lot, but we do know 
that parents are reporting feeling very stressed out during this time. And that can impact children as well. If parents are stressed out, sometimes kids are too. So on average, it's a much more stressful time for parents than even, you know, before a year ago. And so then you can see that manifest in in the children in the homes as well. Right. Some kids experiencing problems such as not sleeping as well or having some behavior issues or more arguing or aggression among siblings or those kinds of things can be common during the pandemic, whereas, you know, maybe in the before the pandemic, only less than 10% of kids would experience that. And now it's becoming relatively common. So it gives parents more that they have to cope with. And that's why it's particularly interesting to look at resilience, because um, what we try to do is, is really focus on different areas of well-being in a child's and family's life, such as their emotional development and their relationships, their physical development and safety, their language development, cognitive development, um, how they are um, developing a sense of identity, all those kinds of things. And for so many kids, school is an important support for those areas of development. And with school being you know, more or less disrupted for many kids, it can be a challenge. But with the right supports, kids can do really well and be resilient despite all these challenges. Now, one area that um, it, it can be um, particularly difficult is if a child has experienced any kind of, of trauma, and that could involve things, as I mentioned, I study like the incarceration of a parent or parental substance abuse, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things, um, or maltreatment. And when you think of kids who are, you know, experiencing all these different stressors related to the pandemic, if they're also experiencing any of those other traumas, it can be particularly difficult. But we know from so much research that one of the most consistent things for kids is if they have a supportive adult in their life who can really keep them safe and help them stay healthy, help them get the care that they need, help, you know, read to them and give them, you know, exposure to different ideas, language stimulation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Kids are way more likely to be resilient than if they don't have that strong, stable, positive relationship with an adult. That is really important information to share too about how to how to step in and and why to step in and in what ways to step in. I look forward to hearing more about that. We'll pause now for a short break. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group, and my guest today is Dr. Julie Paleman Tynan, the Dorothy A. O'Brien Professor of Human Ecology at UW-Madison, and we're talking about resilience. Dr. Julie, can you kind of walk us through what what is resilience? How, how do we know it if we see it? And how does it differ than just maybe being, just well-being in general? That's a great question, Heather. So well-being refers to 
you know, just doing well in a number of different areas. So, for example, um, the scholar Carol Riff, who's been at UW-Madison for a really long time, has a model and talks about well-being as, you know, there's physical well-being and there's psychological well-being. And psychological well-being can include things like um, having positive relationships with people, um, accepting yourself, growing personally, having some kind of purpose in life as you get older, developing some autonomy and some mastery over one's environment. And those are really important things to keep in mind, but it doesn't really say anything about the context of, you know, what if there's a major adverse event or significant adversity, a real challenge how do kids and families kind of deal with that? And that's where the study of and practice of resilience comes in. And that means that there's positive adaptation in the face of adversity, meaning that people can do at least average despite all those risks. And they oftentimes need to mobilize a whole bunch of different things at the individual level, family level, community level to make that happen. Now, that's also different from thriving. You know, some people just, you know, they they experience adversity and they just like kind of take it as a, a real challenge and they do way above average. They just really uh, take off. And and that is sort of like, you know, resilience on steroids, so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there's also sometimes, you know, kids and families who really succumb to that adversity and they really... Um, struggle for a while, whether it's, you know, financially, or with their mental health or other factors. Now, please keep in mind that all this is, it changes over time. So just because someone experienced adversity, you know, at a given point in time, or even if it's chronic adversity, their adaptation to that can vary over time. And what we want to see in kids is that they that sort of improves over time so that even if a kid has like a temporary bump in their development, that they can learn how to, you know, engage in a way that fosters resilience. And some of the things um, that can foster resilience, um, as I mentioned, it could be at the individual family or community level. And so individual factors that can help people be resilient um, as I mentioned earlier, is having a close relationship with a really competent adult that is like shows up over and over and over again in the research, but also connections to pro-social organizations, you know, organizations that are going to help foster child's development like the YMCA or Big Brothers, mm. Big Sisters or after school programs or churches or anything like that that would really emphasize positive behavior, positive ways of getting along with other people. Um, another thing that's at the individual level um, is a sense of humor. You know, when when kids can learn how to appreciate the things that are funny and the fun in life, they end up being much more resilient. Other kinds of things are like a sense of cohesion with other people. It can include peers or uh, siblings or um people in their neighborhood or adults. And then for kids, one really important thing that often interventions work on is a tolerance for delayed gratification, or sometimes we call that good self-regulation. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of that classic experiment with 
um, they used to use marshmallows, but nowadays they use like M&Ms or other, you know, more exciting treats. But um, they see if little kids will have a small reward or treat right away, or if they're able to wait for a bigger treat. Mm-hmm. And there, if you Google it, and there's some adorable videos online of how kids kind of cope with those kind of tests that we give them uh, um, in a lab just to basically test their ability to delay gratification or engage in self-regulation. And kids who are able to do that, the kids who can wait, the kids who can kind of think ahead to like, oh, I don't want to go for that little thing. Now I want to wait for something bigger. Those kids tend to, you know, be able to engage in those resilience processes more effectively in life. So those are the individual factors. Some of the family factors, um, having, you know, parents who actually have really good parenting skills, and this can often be a combination of, of, you know, some kind of structure or ability to set some limits, but also nurturing and warmth and the ability to develop those trusting relationships. Um, Other family factors that can promote resilience are well-defined family roles and responsibilities. So for example, you know, kids who are assigned to do some chores um, or actually know their role um, in the family, have some family routines around like dinner time or holidays or, you know, the weekends, even those that can be really helpful. And then opportunities to, to learn, um, not just learning, you know, reading and writing and problem solving, but also deal with some, some challenges like how do you deal with criticism or how do you deal if like a peer rejects you? Um, those kinds of things can be really helpful to work on in the family context. And then I, I did mention some of the community things that can foster the individual factors such as participation in some, you know, different programs, community organizations, school, um, having a really positive network of peers, and then opportunities to learn how to handle challenges. Because, you know, as sometimes the ability to cope and be resilient, it's kind of like um, using a muscle where you really have to like kind of use your muscle to keep it active and growing and strong. If you don't ever use it, if you don't exercise, your muscle is going to be sort of stagnant. And so giving Mm -hmm. kids opportunities to kind of practice, to actually experience failures of some degree and then help them learn how to overcome those, that those can be incredibly helpful for them to practice their skills. I think that, you know, allowing them to, to fail and without shaming about it and without judgment about it can be really helpful. And if we can give our kids the opportunity to do that while the stakes are low when they're younger, so they're not, you know, going off to college and it's the first time they've ever had to get themselves out of bed to get somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And really just giving them little opportunities to practice that in a safe environment where they're supported, mm-hmm. but really having to cope with those kind of things, not having everything just fall into their lap. That can be really instrumental in developing that skill set. So then when they, you know, go off to college or work or whatever they do, mm-hmm. they can um, kind of know like, okay, I have the confidence to try even if I've experienced failure and how do I problem solve to get myself out of sticky situations? Right. And you know, that really 
would also come out, I would think, you know, some of the things you were talking about almost sounds like, you know, having purpose, having autonomy, being able to be self-sufficient, you know, that's like growing up. And so if we can have kids that are able to kind of grow up and grow in those ways, just think about, um, you know, I guess really just to think about like the next generation and the workforce that's going to be coming out of high school and college and their ability to adapt. And I think you've said to, you know, kind of cope with some different adversities that come through and how much more efficient we might be able to be with just how we use our resources to um, address different issues or have a strong workforce, some things like that. Yes, exactly. That And that's, you know, the importance of starting to look at these things when children are really young. I mean, that's why, you know, like early childhood care and uh, early childhood education are so important because it can help kids with developing all these kinds of skills. And when you make that investment early, it really uh, kind of balloons and then you can see the benefits of it later on as they they grow older, they become more autonomous, they develop a work ethic, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. That's all really important stuff. We'll pause now for a short break. And when we come back, it'd be great to hear about how we can, you know, help kids that maybe are a little bit farther away from us um, through the pandemic with resilience. It's never been more important to get critical medical information from a trusted source in real time. That's exactly what you'll get every Friday afternoon at 2 with the latest word on medicine. The physicians and medical experts from the Medical College of Wisconsin address the impact and implications of the latest medical news and developments. The Medical College of Wisconsin crafts the power of academic medicine into a feature that educates and informs the latest word on medicine. Fridays at 2 on WISN. How about an engagement ring that is unique in all the world? If you like the sound of that, we promise you're going to love the look of it. I'm Monica Kessler at Kessler's Diamonds, and here's how we're going to design your one-of-a-kind, unique in all the world, engagement ring. Step one. Bring us a photo on your cell phone of a ring that is almost perfect. Step two. We'll look at it, and then together we'll decide how we can make it just a little bit different. So that it's perfect. And unique in all the world. One-of-a-kind, just like you. And now, for the best news of all. Your custom ring will be much higher quality. And you'll get a much better price. Than the mass-produced rings sold at other stores. And you'll have your choice of a diamond from a diamond mine. Or a newborn created diamond from a plasma chamber. Where they come alive inside a ball of lightning. A miniature sun. Welcome to Kessler's. For the store nearest you, visit Kessler'sDiamonds.com. Listen, this is Bob Menger with Meng's Landscaping and Snow Removal. Let us bring the festivities, family, friends, and memories to your outdoor living space simply by providing the highest quality and reliability to your project. After completion, let us extend our services, which include fertilization, weed control, spring cleanups, mowing, pruning, and mulching. Contact us at 414-750-1387 or look us up online at mengsnow.com. 
What if I told you there was a way to step into another gear for your brain and be much sharper, more focused, and improve your memory to a level that you could only dream about and notice these results in 30 minutes? Hard to believe? Neuroscientists are calling this new brain discovery the biggest advancement in brain science to date. It's called Limitless, the brain pill of the future. Take it, and within 30 minutes, you'll transport your mind to a new level of focus and clarity you would have never thought possible. I took Limitless, and it started working in minutes. All of a sudden, it felt like a dark cloud had been lifted up right before my eyes. I have a mental clarity I've never felt before. Biz execs, athletes, teachers, and students are calling Limitless a secret weapon for the brain. You have nothing to lose, so call now and find out how to get a free bottle today. To find out how to get a free bottle of Limitless, call 800-680-9416. That's 800-680-9416. Free bottles for a limited time. Call now, 800-680-9416, 800-680-9416. Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Dr. Julie Paleman Tynan, the Dorothy A. O'Brien Professor of Human Ecology at UW-Madison. So Dr. Julie you know, we were talking so much about resilience, and I'd like to hear a bit more about what parents and or adults can do to help foster resilience in children along the way. Sure. I'm going to talk in general about it, but I'll also try to relate it to what are things people can do during the pandemic, just because I think that sometimes parents worry that their kids are really stressed out or struggling or because they don't have as many opportunities in school or sports or traveling, that maybe, you know, they're going to have some kind of longer term uh, stress or suffering. And, and while we, you know, we don't know for sure, it's perfectly reasonable to expect that kids will be okay, you know, if they're supported along the way with, you know, in their family context and in their neighborhood context or their, their little pandemic bubbles. Um, So, I'm going to summarize some of the work from Anisha Abraham, who is a pediatrician at Children's National Hospital and author of a book called Raising Global Teens, a Practical Handbook for Parenting in the 21st Century. And I think that some of the things that are summarized in this book can be really helpful for parents and especially during the pandemic. So one of the things that I think is is really critical and touches on what we were just talking about, Heather, is helping teach children problem-solving skills. Mm. So really um, think of when a child is kind of faced with something, there are so many different ways to approach like how to do it better or fix it or overcome an obstacle that if you as a parent, can help children anticipate some stressful situations and how they might respond, then they can practice it in the home. So you can talk to them actually about, you know, like, oh, well, if you're trying to do your class online and the screen goes blank, how can you deal with that? Or if you're uh, playing with your friend and your friend doesn't want to share how can you deal with that? And then you can talk them through that, but also you can give them ideas and suggestions. And another thing is to identify what they can control. So much of what's happening in the Mm. pandemic is out of little kids control, right? 
But regardless of what is going on during the pandemic, such as missing out on school, or like even if a, a parent loses a job, or there's some kind of, you know, economic hardship, or someone in their family gets sick, mm-hmm. children aren't completely helpless, usually. A lot of times, you can help children identify like, like what they can do, like what are the choices that they can make? Like how can they use some of their time or what are the different things that they can play with or um, what do they want to learn about? Um, What are they interested in? And oftentimes when parents talk to kids about that kind of stuff, they can, you know, be a model for children by just, you know, saying like, oh, well, have you thought of this or have you thought of that or have you tried this? And they can try to really emphasize what really is in the child's control. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that parents can do, which can be really incredibly helpful to children of all ages, is to label the emotions that they're experiencing. So if a kid is, you know, acting a certain way and a parent says like, you seem frustrated or, oh, you s- seem sad, that can really help kids learn how to label their emotions and then be able to talk about it. And once kids can like label it and talk about it, it really helps them get out of that negative space, especially difficult emotions like anger. And then they can also encourage children to experiment with different coping strategies, such as, you know, deep breathing, exercising, FaceTiming with someone, um, writing or drawing or coloring or anything like that, being with their pet. And then it's also helpful when parents can label their own emotions too, like saying, you know, like say a parent is really stressed out and say like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed right now and just kind of talk it through so kids can realize they're not the only ones experiencing these kinds of things. And then to say like, okay, I'm really stressed out. I'm just going to take a couple minute break and listen to some quiet music and then I'll be back with you. Oftentimes that can be a really great model for kids and it's totally okay for parents to say when they're, you know, if they're stressed out or if they're frustrated and then explain how they're going to handle it. And that, you know, give me a minute. I I need to take a minute. Yeah. With your kids. I think that is really powerful and important. Like you said, modeling that behavior that you expect or that you would want your kids to do. Yeah, that can be very powerful. And helpful to the adult. Yes, because once adults label their emotions and then talk through what they're going to do about it, it kind of diffuses those emotions too. So it's like it's like a win-win strategy, really, yeah, for sure. to build resilience in the families. Um, another thing that parents can do is really think about what their kid is interested in and excited about. And it doesn't have to be anything that's expensive, you know, even if a family is under some economic stress, they can still do things that leverage the kids' interests that are cheap or or just use things around the house or even just use things out in nature. And so a lot of times a parent can say, like, think about, okay, well, what interests my kid? Talk to them about it and then think to, to you know, like, well, how can we leverage that to help the child from becoming you know, bored or, um, or frustrated. And that can be really great. So another thing is focusing on 
um, something called like pacing and recovery, meaning that a lot of times when kids and adults too, when they're kind of working hard or having to have focused attention, just think of like, you know, Zoom meetings or like, you know, kids having to read something or write something or do some math problems, or even when they're younger, share their toys or, you know, have to play kind of independently for a little while. It's always good to build in breaks and think about, okay, do we have enough energy to do this right now? What do we need to help? You know, do we, do we need snacks? Do we need just like a, a, you know, walk outside or closing our eyes for a little bit and kind of build that into the day so that it's not like the parent or the child is, is sort of running on empty, so to speak, that they really have times to take little breaks. So for example, like I know families where they have the, the kid jumps on a little trampoline for a while, or the parents say like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, sit in my chair and um, meditate for a few minutes or whatever in order to kind of be rejuvenated to resume whatever mm-hmm. they need to do. And building that into someone's day can be really, really important. With everyone working from home and doing school from home so much, you know, we miss some of that break time. Like whether it's the walk or the school bus ride or, you know, to school or it's the commute to and from work where, you know, it's just changing, I think, perspective. But, and when, when, when we have to rebuild in those, those breaks, like you just said, I think that's a great, that's a great tip. And I think the impact of that, that you've been describing at how then if we have resilience in our, in our kids, if they've got resilience, the, how that allows us to, in the long run, focus so much more on, on some different things, like whether that's less disruption in your own workday, um, less disruption in the children's ability to learn, uh, I think can just be really a whole different side of the impact to the family that that has. Exactly. And I think that when parents are working on fostering resilience in their children during these stressful times, they can also be fostering it in themselves too, in the family. And that can be really powerful for everybody. And I I think that just knowing that it's okay not to be perfect and it's okay to break up your day in all sorts of different ways. It's okay to build in different routines that you might not have done before and take ample breaks. I think that that's that's really kind of empowering because if people think they have to be like constantly on, so to speak, I think that can be very draining. And and sometimes, you know, especially if, if it's a single parent, that can be stressful if there isn't someone to just naturally come and relieve them. But But many families are creating their own, you know, little pods where they kind of, you know, have days where they might share the responsibilities with someone else in a similar situation or with a neighbor or a grandparent mm-hmm. or somebody else in the, you know, friend, someone else in the family's life that they can recognize the need for, you know, support and for, you know, making sure they build in some breaks before it becomes too stressful. I think that that's really uh, wonderful. Yeah, you know, we'll take a short break. And then when we come back, I'd like to hear a bit more about how we can support others in need. And maybe even while we get support ourselves, we'll be right back after a short break. (music) 
Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And my guest today is Dr. Julie Paleman-Tynan, the Dorothy A. O'Brien Professor of Human Ecology at UW-Madison. So Dr. Julie, tell us more about how, as parents, we can get more support in the journey towards resilience for our children, and also how we can support others and maybe even how to notice that there's a need for that. That's a great topic because I think that everybody needs to have some kind of support system. One of the things to keep in mind is that that humans are social and that the social isolation that's um, been part of the pandemic experience feels really unnatural and actually has deprived some people of the kinds of supports that they would normally have. But now that more people are getting vaccinated There's opportunities to reconnect with some people, especially older people who are, you know, kind of first in line for their vaccines. Um, They that there are situations in which it's safe for grandparents to see their grandchildren again and grandparents can provide an incredible support to families and and not just in situations, you know, that I study where the grandparents are actually raising their grandchildren, but even when grandparents are supporting the parents and the grandparents together. And so I think it can be really valuable to have those connections around. Now, um, sometimes parents just need to take a deep breath and, and, you know, kind of think of like, okay, what do I need right now to be able to, you know, be the best parent I can be and support my child? And sometimes it might be that they need to reach out, whether it's to their family members the child's grandparents, other family members, their friends, or even different organizations um, that are still, you know, offering services in different areas. So, you know, various nonprofits or other um, other organizations that they can get support. So for really young families, there are home visiting programs where families can get support. And for older kids, it's often like school-based supports and after-school programs, and other organizations, as I mentioned, like YMCA, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, you know, those kind of organizations. Now, if you're on the other side, say you're a grandparent or a friend or a family member kind of looking in, and there may be some, you know, signs that a family might need more support. And one of the things that you might notice is that the the child is sort of acting out or seems very withdrawn. Those can be signs that a child might need, you know, a little bit more attention, a little bit more support. But it could also be parents reporting that they're really stressed. Um, mm-hmm. It could be if if they don't feel like engaged, um, if they're, you know, report crying free, frequently or if they just are constantly saying, I am so stressed, I am so stressed. Those are signs that there might be a need for someone to, you know, kind of hold their hand come in and support them and their own well-being or even just help out with the kids so they can have some time to themselves. That can be really critical in order to, you know, be the kind of parent that you want to be for your kids is to make sure you take care of yourself and get the support that you need. It's not always easy to ask for help either. It's can be extremely difficult mm-hmm. and it's it's not always easy to be the one offering help either. Right. But I think that so many times families may not want to ask because they don't want to like, you know, be a burden 
on, you know, the older generation or anything, but so many grandparents are more than willing to step in and help out. I think that do ask, <laughs> do, do say what you need. Yeah, and, and definitely offer if you're on the, if you're on the side of being able to provide support. Exactly. And don't worry about, you know, it's so exciting that people can see each other more now. I mean, just do what you can. And even if, you know, sometimes we have our, what sometimes we call fictive kin or, you know, the family you make for yourself, like say you don't live super close to family, but you have friends that you think of as family, you know, really just know that it's okay to ask, it's okay to offer, um, and that there are wider supports in the neighborhoods and communities as well if, if um, you know, family and friends can't meet your needs. So I think those are kind of important things Um, But also know, too, that the more kids actually do things that can break up their day, have some routines built in their day, and then getting outside is one of the best ways to kind of help kids and support their development. Being in nature, getting their exercise, and that can also be a great time for parents to also either get exercise or get outside or get a break. And so I would say maximize use of that now with the weather getting better and um, lots of opportunities that there are for going to parks, walking around the block. There's lots of waterways in Wisconsin. All those kind of things can be incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different, um, you know, nature programs that are um, being managed virtually now. You know, many different uh, parks have like scavenger hunts built in and um, different things like that. Uh, photo scavenger hunts. We've done those, uh, you know, small group events through um, through our church. But even just building it for our own family has been, you know, fun and, and just gives you kind of some, well, sense of purpose when you're out and about, too. Exactly. And then uh, don't underestimate the power of pets. During the pandemic, it's been a really boom in adopting different pets and children really benefit from that connection. There's research showing that, you know, when there is a pet in the home, children, um, they're more stimulated, they, um, you know, have some educational advantages, and also they, they have that loving companion that can develop over time. So that can be really important as well. Yes, for all of our listeners uh, who have a dog on their wish list, we adopted our dog a, a few years ago, and um, I was the last one to jump on board, and I, it was the best decision we've ever made. Oh, that's good to hear, yeah, and so and animal rescue organizations have said that this has been a really wonderful time for animals getting adopted out of shelters mm-hmm. and through rescue organizations as well, so it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your research, your passion for this subject and helping our listeners to help themselves and their families and and the and their children. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So as we close, remember uh, Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. If you liked today's show and want to know more, please visit www.ellenbecker.com or call our office at 262-691-3200. You know, I hope we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.